In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. We sit. Good morning. I missed you. I missed being here with you. I can't tell you how much, I, I think probably every priest's broken heart um, weighs on them when the pews are empty and no one can come to the table. I can't tell you how painful that was and how much I missed you. So it is a beautiful thing to see you in these pews, in this space, and to get to do some of what we do together. I know it's not the same. I know it doesn't feel the same, and it, it may not for a little while, but the fact that we're here together makes me very happy. So thank you for being here this morning. It's really, really good to see you. I was hoping, I have to tell you last week, so before Sunday last week, in the middle of the week, I went and looked to see what the gospel was going to be this morning, and I was hoping for something celebratory, you know, like the wedding at Cana, or um, a good story about sort of normal healing. I went sort of looking for a good story, right? And that's not exactly what I got. <laughs> this text from Mark is not easy. It's in two parts, and we're going to look at both of them. But it was a reminder for me that so much of our work together in this space and so much of me sort of wandering around out here on the floor is about us wrestling with what the text actually says. Not what we wish it said, not what we'd like it to be, but what it actually says. And the only thing that we can do together is sort of look at it and look at Jesus and evaluate what he says and what he does in light of who we know he is as a whole person. And I have to be honest, this text is a really hard one. It's not how I would have liked to come back, but it's probably very important for us in the world that we live in. It's an important thing for us to look at, so we're going to. Because when we do that, when we wrestle with text together, when we try to figure out who Jesus was and what he, what he meant, because we can't just go there, right? We can't just go back to that moment and look him in the eye and ask him why he said that or try and figure out what his body language is telling us about what he's really doing. So we have to wrestle with it. And when we do that, I think that's what leads us to the truth to transformation, not just for us, but for the whole world. That's what we're about here. It's nothing short of, out, of us being transformed and of us learning to change the whole world. Now, having said that, the first half of this gospel is really, really tough. And it's tough because Jesus is both human and divine, right? As Episcopalians, we believe that Jesus walking around for the 33 years he was on this earth grew up partially as a human being. He had friends, he had family, he had people around him who had particular opinions. He would have grown up aware of things like stereotypes and difference, and that's exactly what he's showing us in this text. It's easy to gloss over, but Mark goes out of his way to tell us that this woman is a Syrophoenician woman, which means that she's a Gentile. And what we're hearing Jesus do is use a racial stereotype. He is using a racial epithet. Gentiles were very commonly portrayed by the Jewish people, both in literature and even in graffiti and street art. We have lots of examples of it. Gentiles were very commonly portrayed as dogs. This is a very particular thing that Jesus is saying. He's repeating something that he probably grew up with, something that he probably heard over and over and over again, because the Jewish people and the Gentiles 
didn't really get along. There's hatred there, there's disdain there, and, and at the very best, there's sort of dislike and animosity and mistrust there. And so he's repeating this thing that, frankly, I wish he wasn't saying at all. <laughs> and so I know there has to be a reason that he's repeating it. And three years ago, I stood in this space with you, and I preached on this text because that's what we do. And I told you what I think he's doing, and I will repeat that this morning with a little extra addition for what he wants today. I think what he's doing is showing us that he too grew up in the world. He too grew up with these things. But then he goes and he does something different. If you look at the exchange between the two of them, Jesus first sort of gives in to this idea that we hear him say multiple times in other places that he has come for the lost sheep of Israel, that he has come for his people. We hear that in scripture occasionally in the Gospels, and it makes sense, right? A Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people. But then, in this text, and in many others, he goes and he does something very different. And I think this woman deserves quite a bit of credit, actually, for the fact that he says that to her. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to use my power for you. No, I'm not going to use my, my strength and my gift. No, I'm not going to heal your daughter because you're not part of my tribe. Right? This is what he says at first pass, at least, at first glance. And she says, but wait a minute. Isn't there anything left for me? Isn't there anything left for us? Don't you have enough for us? Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs under the table, right? There should be leftovers. And I think in that moment, because she has faith that he can, that he is enough, that he has enough, because she's willing to push on him a little bit, which, frankly, we all need to do sometimes in our prayer life. It doesn't mean we always get what we want, but we are certainly invited to have a conversation, to ask for what we want, to push back. And because she does this, because her faith in him is strong enough, he does something different. He steps outside of that stereotypical thing he grew up with. He steps outside of that system that tells him that he's fundamentally different than somebody else. And he gives her the same kind of blessing, the same kind of healing, the same kind of gift that he gives to the people of Israel over and over and over again. And in so doing, he proves to us that it's not just about crumbs. My goodness, it's not just that she gets to eat the crumbs under the table. It's all of a sudden that she is equal. She has a seat at the table. She inherits the same kind of blessing. He doesn't even have to go see the daughter to heal her from afar, which he does in other places for the people of Israel. He gives her the same healing, the same love, the same attention, the same seat at the table. And to do that, he has to step outside of what he learned he has to step outside of the narrative, the, the dislike, the disdain that he grew up with, that he was exposed to as a human being, and choose instead to break the rules and break the boundaries and make room for someone who theoretically doesn't belong. That sounds more like the Jesus I know. And he does the same thing in the next half of the gospel. He takes this man into a private place probably because what he's about to do is not palatable to the contemporary people around him. It's probably not really palatable to us, too. I'd like you to imagine just for a minute that Jesus took you somewhere and put his fingers in your ears and then put his hands in your mouth. It's kind of, it's kind of different, right? It's not really what you imagine Jesus doing. 
And so he takes this man somewhere else because as much as it might not be palatable to us, this is also a very big no-no in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you don't touch other people like this. You definitely don't share bodily fluid. You just don't. He's breaking hygiene rules. He's breaking holiness rules. He's breaking all kinds of rules, as usual, to set this man free. And that's what he does. He touches him in a particular way. And then he says this word that Mark, Mark wants to make sure that we know it in Aramaic. Be opened is how Mark translates it. Be opened. And all of a sudden, it's like his ears are unstopped and his tongue is free and he's able to, to speak plainly, is what the text says. He's able to all of a sudden be free from those things that weighed him down, that held him back be opened. And so the second part of this little three-part sermon is about being open. It's not just that he's talking to the man's ears, right? It's not just that he's talking to the man's mouth. He's talking to the man as a whole human being, which should beg the question for us, what is it that you need to be opened to? If Jesus were here today and he were taking you away in private to heal you, to change you, and he said, be opened to you, what would change today for you? How would your life change? How would your mind and your heart change? What would be different? Would you learn better to receive the love of God? to have your ears unstopped, to be able to hear the truth? Would you learn better to speak the love of God, to be able to share it with everyone you meet? Is there something else for you that is an obstacle, something from which you need to be freed? Because to you this morning, Jesus says, be opened so that you can speak plainly. And then the last part, we can't, we can't ignore James, right? We can't ignore James and Proverbs and this intense theme in which James is very clear to say, by the way, it's not enough to speak the truth. It's not enough to speak plainly. You need to live the truth. You can't just claim things about your faith. You can't just say things. I mean, you can, but it doesn't really mean anything. James is very clear to say that faith without works, is dead. And so it doesn't matter if we say everyone belongs at the table. It doesn't matter if we say we are open and we want to help other people be opened. We have to actually do something about it. And James is clear to say that a key piece of that is that we learn how to love all of our neighbors, all of them, no exceptions, and show no partiality. And he's focused particularly on one specific set of neighbors, to be clear. But he's clear that there's no partiality that we get to show at all, which brings us back around to the fact that everyone gets a seat at the table. Everyone. No exception. Now, I'm aware that we are beginning a new program year after a year and a half of some very different months, that's fair, right? And yet, long before I got here, 
long before I ever walked through these doors three and a half years ago. You all had already decided that this was a place where everyone was going to have a seat at the table. You decided that long before I was here. And I hope that our time together has started to open us up as individuals and as a community to what God would free us from and to what God might be calling us to free other people from. In many ways, this is the work, I think, of, of our time, our season, our year ahead. What is God calling us to do in this new time, in this new landscape? Who are we supposed to be and what are we supposed to let go of? What are we supposed to be freed from? And then James would remind us very gently, I think, even though he sounds a little angry in the epistle, he's not. He's, he's actually pretty gentle. And I think he would remind us that while we build a big table and let everyone have a seat, while we seek ourselves to follow after Jesus, to be open, to be freed within ourselves, and to make sure that we are freeing other people, we also need to be very sure, very sure, that we aren't just talking about it, that we are doing it that we are finding a way to live out that love, to offer that space and openness to other people. So that's what I hope we will do in the year ahead. We're going to continue to learn how to break those boundaries the way that Jesus does in the gospel, to make sure that everyone has a seat in the, at the table, to build a table here that is big and wide and long and accessible and just and fair to figure out on our own personal journeys how to be free of the things that hold us back. And then to figure out without partiality how to invite other people into that freedom as well. Where love sets the table. Where love opens the door. And where love makes sure that everyone is equal. Amen.